0: The Testimony of Experience by A.J. Gordon. Prove me now, herewith is the challenge which the Lord has given in His Word, and there are many who have accepted and tested His challenge on the promises of bodily recovery. We wish in this chapter to consider the experiences and testimony of certain who within our own times have exercised a ministry of healing. Let us not be misunderstood. We do not attribute to any man the power of curing sickness, though we think many are called to be instruments to that end. A physician is a mediator between nature and our suffering humanity and his skill depends solely upon his ability to interpret and apply the laws of health to the sick and to bring the sufferer into contact with the recuperative forces of the natural world. In like manner, if the primitive gifts of healing are still bestowed in the Church, those endowed with them have power only through the mediation of their faith and prayers. We are told that Paul entered into the house of Publius and finding his father sick, prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. But we do not understand from this that the Apostle had any inherent personal power to heal disease. Else why did he pray? Praying is touching the hem of Christ's garment by the human intercessor, while in the laying on of hands he at the same moment touches the body of the sufferer. It is simply the repetition of what was done again and again during the earthly ministry of our Lord the bringing of the sick to Jesus for healing and cleansing. Why do you look so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? Ask Peter of those who were wondering at the miracle at the beautiful gate. If it were a question of human power or holiness, we might quite ready... <coughs> If it were a question of human power or holiness, we might be quite ready to relegate the gifts of healing to the apostolic age, confessing our utter lack of these qualifications. But since it is a question of the power and holiness of Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today and forever, it is quite another matter. If you can believe is the question now. If you can believe is the question now. A year famous for believing is the language in which Romain designated a certain unusual twelve month of his ministry. If such a year should be graciously injected into the calendar of any Christian life, it would be a year of success. For believing is knowing God and finding the depths of His power and privilege that are hidden for us in him and the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits, says scripture. Now there have been some in our day who have had faith to take the Lord at his word in connection with the promises of healing and having proved him and found him faithful, their testimony will be deeply instructive to our readers. Dorothea Trudell is a name especially honoured in this relation. The story of her life and labours in connection with the home for invalids in the Swiss village of Manidoff on Lake Zurich has been very widely read and has caused a great and has caused great searchings of heart in many who have pondered it. The Lord provides deep roots when there are to be wide spreading branches and this life whose boughs so ran over the wall and stretched beyond the bounds of ordinary service was unusually rooted and established. The mother from from whom she received her birth and early training was so remarkable for her faith and consecration that though living in the utmost obscurity and poverty, her biography has been placed among those of the illustrious Christian women of the ages. The wife of a brutal and godless husband and so cut off from human sympathy that there was none but God to whom she could appeal in her need She was schooled by this bitter tuition into a life of faith and absolute dependence on God. She looked to him for food, for her family, when they must otherwise have starved, for deliverance, when they must otherwise have perished, for healing, when they must otherwise have died. Dorothea grew up with perpetual exhibitions before her eye of the Lord's restoring of the sick for a poor household which could employ no other physician, The faith which it is so difficult for us to recover was her native inheritance. Hence, what we doubt so painfully whether we may do, she bitterly condemned herself for not doing when she had subsequently neglected it. After her parents had died, we find her engaged in labours of love among the working people, teaching them the gospel and seeking to lead them to the Saviour. How her personal use of the prayer of faith began. Uh, how the, her personal use of the prayer of faith began in connection with these labors. She tells us in the following words: Four of them fell ill, and as each could do as he pleased, all four summoned a doctor. It was remarked, however, that they got worse after taking the medicine until, at last, the necessity became so pressing that I went as a worm. To the Lord and laid our distress before him. I told him how willingly I would send for an elder, as is commanded in James chapter 5. But as there was not one, I must go to my sick ones in the faith of the Canaanite woman and without trusting to any virtue in my hand, I would lay it upon them. I did so and by the Lord's blessing all four recovered. Most powerfully then did the sin of disobeying God's word strike me, and most vividly did the simple life of faith, the carrying out just what God orders, stand before me. Soon after she gave herself wholly to the Master's work, soon after she gave herself wholly to the Master's work, and as the effects of her evangelistic efforts and the answers to her earnest prayers were noticed, she was importuned to receive patients into her house. Consenting reluctantly, the life work thus began, from which was to flow such a blessing to the souls and bodies of men. Her methods were very simple, the Bible and prayer were her medicines. She she dealt with the soul first, using every effort to bring it to faith and obedience to the Gospel. She prayed for the body, laying hands on the sick and anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. In all this she recognized the necessity of the most absolute consecration on her part and that of her helpers and of the most surrendering faith on the part of the sick. Very beautifully does she thus speak of the believer's privilege. In the New Testament we are called kings and priests. Power accompanied the anointing of the kings and if we really belong to the kingly priesthood shall not strength to heal the sick by prayer come on us also through the anointing of the Spirit? If we only wear our Levite dress and are consecrated in soul and body, if we are only prepared to be vessels of his grace, it is his part to bless. Oh, that we were willing not to do more than God would have us do. Then would this day be one of great reviving to us. Thus her work was inaugurated and thus was she inducted by unseen hands into her remarkable ministry. Rarely have we traced the story of a life whose consecration was so even and unreserved. Among the sayings which she left on record is this. The heart ought not to be an inn where the Lord sometimes comes, but a home where He always abides. It was her calling for many years to keep an inn where the sick could lodge, a hospice into which the suffering and distracted wanderer could turn for solace. These came and went with the recurring months, but so constantly was the Lord abiding with her that it might be said, according to Luther's beautifully beautiful simile, that the wayfarer coming and knocking at her heart and asking who lives here would hear the instant answer from within, Jesus Christ. Not that she ever claimed as much, for none was ever more humble and self-depreciatory, but her life declared it. It comes out in her biography, that her prayers were sometimes prolonged into midnight, that her soul was so wrought with intense desire that often the sweat would stand in beads upon her forehead. Once in busy labours among the sick, she passed the whole day without food, utterly forgetting the claims of nature in her absorbing devotion to her work, and then finding it impossible to get food on account of the lateness of the hour, she falls at Jesus' feet and begs for that meat that the world knows not not of and is so refreshed and filled that she goes all night in the strength of it. Such rare and Christ-like consecration has always proved an apt soil for the manifestation of the miraculous, especially when chastened and fertilized by bitter persecutions. And this token which the scripture promises to all who will live godly in Christ Jesus, was not wanting to her as the spirit to endure it with unresenting meekness was not wanting. I have had enemies, she writes, both known and unknown in crowds, and thickly scattered falsehoods and slanders were no pleasant portion. I write this with the feeling that whoever cannot bear even the blackest falsehoods and slanders has yet to experience something of the peace of God which is like an ocean without bounds. I write this with the feeling that whoever cannot bear even the blackest falsehoods and slanders has yet to experience something of the peace of God which is like an ocean without bounds. Medical men and others conceived great hostility to her and sought to convict her of malpractice in the courts, though it was shown in testimony that most of her patients were such as had spent all their living upon physicians only to be made worse, and that the only medicine she employed was prayer. Speaking of this adversity, she says, but a storm was now to burst over the work, for in 1856 when the second house was filled with invalids. And the Lord was working mightily. We were fined sixty francs and were ordered to send away all the patients by a certain time. Though it was the most grievous day of my life, I obeyed the command. But the houses so hastily emptied, filled as fast as ever with the blind, the lame and the deaf, for whom the Lord did great things. Evil spirits were cast out of some of the invalids by prayer and the sufferer became instantly free. Many were delivered from the power of darkness which had been exercised over their minds, though less visibly and outwardly, and received what we consider the highest and best blessing, that of being changed from wolves into lambs. In 1861, a second persecution was raised raised against this most saintly and inoffensive woman. At the instigation of a physician, the magistrates imposed a heavy fine upon her and ordered her patients to be sent away. Then, through appeal to a higher tribunal, her case was brought into court and the world was made acquainted through the testimonies of scores of living witnesses with the wonderful work which God had wrought through her prayers. Mr. Spondlin, an eminent advocate of Zurich, volunteered to conduct her case. Prelate von Kopf, Professor Tolok and many others were witnesses on her behalf. And the result was that she was fully acquitted and left undisturbed in her gracious work. Henceforth her house, which had too often, through the malice of enemies, been a beth Aven or house of affliction, became only a Bethesda, or house of mercy. If her own simple record, confirmed by the word of scores who bore testimony at her trial, could prove that miracles of healing were wrought in her house, the fact must be considered as established. With a deep conviction that sin is often the hidden root of sickness, she dealt most earnestly with the souls of her patients. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed was an injunction that had deeply practical meaning to her. And often conviction and conversion were the first symptoms of physical convalescence. On one occasion a young artisan arrived, in whom cancer had made such progress as to render any approach to him almost unbearable. At the Bible lessons this once frivolous man, now an earnest inquirer, learned where the improvement must begin. And from the day that he confessed his sins against God and man, the disease abated. Sometimes afterwards he acknowledged one sin he had hitherto concealed, and then he speedily recovered his bodily health and returned to his home cured in spirit also in some instances her prayers and her eager seeking for the will of God were long continued beyond any sign of recovery was manifested in some she gained the strongest impression that it was not the Lord's will to restore them and then she labored with unceasing diligence to bring them into peace with God before they should die in others healing was vouchsafed at once A lady in S had so injured her knee by a fall that for weeks she lay in the greatest agony. The doctor declared that Dropsy would intervene but the heavenly physician fulfilled those promises which will abide until the end of the world and by prayer and the laying on of Dorothea's hands the knee was cured in 24 hours and the swelling vanished. One giving an account of her arraignment says, During the course of the trial, authenticated cures were brought forward, it is said, to the number of some hundreds. There was one of a stiff knee that had been treated in vain by the best physicians in France, Germany and Switzerland, and one of an elderly man who could not walk and had also been given up by his physicians, but who soon dispensed with his crutches. A man came with a burned foot and the surgeon said it was a case for either amputation or death, and he also was cured. One of the leading physicians of Württemberg testified to the cure of a hopeless patient of his own. Another remained six weeks and says he saw all kinds of sicknesses healed. Cancer and fever have been treated with success, epilepsy and insanity more frequently than any other forms of disease. Such was the ministry of healing and comfort carried on by this holy woman till the day when she fell asleep in Jesus and such was the blessed example which she left behind her. I repeat, such was the ministry of healing and comfort carried on by this holy woman till the day when she fell asleep in Jesus and such was the blessed example which he left behind her. Travelers, tell us of a deep and secluded lake in Switzerland in whose crystal mirror the reflection of distant mountains may be seen, though the mountains themselves are not visible to the eye. In the tranquil, hidden life of the Swiss peasant girl, the image of the invisible saviour was clearly mirrored, and how many of those who knew her in life and of those who have read the story of her consecration since her death have therefrom caught a reflected glimpse of the unseen Redeemer and been quickened with new love to him and a new sense of his present power. Samuel Zeller took up the work at Manedorf as it dropped from the dead hands of Sister Dorothea. He is the son of the founder of a well-known boys' reformatory at Buergen near Basel and brother-in-law of Gobat, late bishop at Jerusalem. He had been a co-laborer at the home before the death of its founder and with much prayer that the gifts of faith and of healing might rest upon him, Dorothea had committed the work to his care. Since her death, the institution has continued with no apparent loss of power or usefulness under his direction, he being aided by Miss Zeller, his sister and by several devoted servants. All the helpers even to the servants render their service as a labour of love in grateful return in most cases for the recovery which they have received at this home. Mr Mr. Zeller is a fervent evangelist going out in every direction preaching the word as well as labouring in season and out of season for the souls and bodies of those who come under his care. From two houses the home has grown to ten and they are always filled with patients from many nations. The same methods are employed as under his predecessor. He lays hands upon the sick, he anoints with oil in the name of the Lord and pleads the promise given in James 5th chapter. And his reports published year by year are full of striking instances alike of healing and of conversion. He entertains no extravagant views of his mission. Holding most tenaciously to the perpetuity of the promise, the prayer of faith shall save the sick, he yet strongly recognizes the sovereignty of God in the answer. To the question asked by a recent visitor, whether it is not God's will that all his children should be free from sickness, he replied that it is evidently the Father's will that some should overcome sickness and that others should overcome in sickness, and he quoted significantly the words of, hebrews chapter 11 some through faith subdued kingdoms wrought righteousness obtained promises stopped the mouths of lions quenched the violence of fire escaped the edge of the sword out of weakness were made strong waxed valiant in fight turned to flight the armies of the aliens women received their dead raised to life again and others were tortured not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth and these all having obtained a good report through faith, etc., etc. A visit to this home was made a few years since by several eminent German preachers and professors, and when one of these was asked his opinion of the work, he answered, where the Holy Spirit speaks with so much power, we can do no otherwise than listen to his teaching. Critical analysis is out of the question." a quiet and deep spiritual life a profound faith in the promises of god and a humble and self-denying self-denying surrender to his word and will are the traits which have characterized the work from the beginning until the present time the cases of recovery at Manidoff are so fully given in the report of the home that we need not reproduce them here pastor bloomhart exercising his ministry in the small lutheran village of motlingen in the heart of the black forest in germany is another who was greatly honored of god in his prayers of faith he died quite recently but during many years of his active pastorate he was credited with extraordinary grace in praying for the sick like others of whom we have spoken he had the ministry of healing thrust upon him he first became known for his unusual consecration and for his zeal and ability in stirring up formal Christians to renewed activity. He prayed for the diseased with such efficacy and such well-attested cures were reported from his intercessions that very soon he was resorted to by the suffering from every direction. His home and neighborhood became a hospital where not only individuals but sorrowing and sin-sick souls came for counsel and help. One writing of him says, as regards Bloomhart and his work, it may emphatically be said that the pleasure of the Lord prospered in his hands. He seems to have taken no pains to report his success, having evidently learned the secret that the way to have a strong faith is to think nothing of yourself. But others praised him, if not his own lips, and he became widely known throughout his country as a pastor who considered the sick bodies of his flock to be under his ministration as well as the sick souls. We give one instance from the life of Bloomhart to show the vast influence which a striking exhibition of miraculous power may exert upon the spiritual life of a people. <clears throat> On commencing his ministry in Mottlingen, he found the place fearfully given over to infidelity and sensuality. As his fervent preaching began to tell upon the community, Satan seemed to come in with great wrath to resist him. A case occurred in the village which exactly resembled the instances of demoniacal possession recorded in scripture. The woman thus afflicted endured the most excruciating agony. The pastor being called in was quite appalled, having never seen anything of the kind and in his perplexity was inclined to be excused from interfering with it. But some of his brethren in the church who had listened to his strong utterances on the subject of the prayer of faith came to him saying, If you do not wish to shake our belief in your preaching, you cannot retreat before the evil one. After a moment's thought and silent prayer, he answered, You are right, but to be in accord with the word of God You must also unite with me in supplication according to James 5.14. What followed appears from the following account by his friend, Pastor Spitler. He says, Kindly permit me not to mention in this place the frightful details of her sufferings. The medical man who attended the person was perfectly at a loss as to the case. He said, Is there no clergyman in this village who can pray? I can do nothing here. The minister, Bloomhart, who had then the spiritual care of the village, felt the force of such a reproach, joined as it was to that of his believing people. He went to the house in the strength of faith. The more frightful the manifestations of the destroying power of Satan became, with the more unshaken faith in the all-overcoming power of the living God, That pastor continued to struggle against the assaults of the infernal powers till at last, after a tremendous outcry of the words Jesus is victor, Jesus is victor heard almost throughout the whole little village. The person found herself freed from all the dreadful chains under which she had sighed so long and often come to the very brink of death. That voice, Jesus is victor sounded like a trumpet of God through the village. After a week, one man of very loose and deceitful character, whom the pastor on that account felt felt almost afraid of approaching, came trembling and pale to Blumhart into his study and said, Sir, is it then possible that I can be pardoned and saved? I have not slept for a whole week, and if my heart be not eased, it will kill me. He made an astonishing confession of iniquity, which for the first time, Opened the pastor's eyes to the multitude and enormity of sins prevailing among the people. The pastor prayed with him and put Christ before him in his readiness to pardon even the vilest of sinners that would come to him for mercy. When the man seemed completely cast down and almost in despair, Blumhardt found it in his found it his duty as an ambassador of Christ solemnly to assure him of God's mercy and Jesus Christ. And lo, immediately his countenance was changed, beaming with joy and gratitude. The first thing which the man now did was to go to his fellow sinners from cottage to cottage and tell them what he had just experienced. First they were astonished and could not understand it, yet they saw the marvellous change in him. He urged them to go to the minister about their souls. Some he even dragged, as it were, in triumph to the manse. Till about twenty persons were in the same way convinced of sin and found grace and forgiveness in Jesus. Then follows the account of a most gracious and widespread revival. The whole village became a balken. With tears and lamentations, the people came confessing their sins and inquiring the way of escape from the wrath of God that was resting upon them. The pastor's house was besieged from morning to night with penitence so that within two months, as he declared, there were not 20 persons in the place who had not come to him bewailing their sins and finding peace in Jesus Christ. The transformation which resulted was hardly less wonderful than that which occurred in Kidderminster under the preaching of Richard Baxter. The story gives a most striking indication of what might result even now under the preaching of the gospel with signs following. The soul is the life of the body, faith is the life of the soul, Christ is the life of faith so wrote the good John Flavel and thus he traced very obviously and directly the course through which Christ the Redeemer acts upon the human body. Professor Otto Stockmeyer might be fitly named the theologian of the doctrine of healing by faith. He has given some very subtle, not say bold and startling expositions of the relation of sin and sickness. The soul is the life of the body and the Lord does not intend that his saving and sanctifying ministry shall stop with the regeneration and renewal of the soul, is Stockmayer's strongly asserted doctrine. Attaching great weight to the words of scripture which declare that Christ healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. He reasons that if our Redeemer bore our sicknesses, it is not his will that his children should remain under the power of disease, any more than that having borne our sins, it is his will that they should remain under any more than that having borne our sins, it is his will that they should remain under condemnation and disobedience. Let me read that again. There are two parts to this uh, message by H. A. J. Gordon titled The Testimony of Experience. This episode gives only the first part which is about 29 minutes. The actual message is for 46 minutes. So I will be putting up the second part also in an episode. I hope these testimonies that Gordon is giving about God's mighty work in places and people will have a great impact on your Christian life.